Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 4, and I'll be reading verses 4 through 20. Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. May the Lord take his word and give us understanding of it this morning. We've just experienced a tremendously unsettling week with concerns about the spread of the coronavirus, news of a 70-year-old man from Chittenden County infected and in critical condition in the ICU at the medical center, travel bans, school closings, the stock market plummeting, cancellations, and on Friday, the president declaring a national emergency and Vermont's Governor Scott declaring a state of emergency. These are unprecedented actions in our lifetimes. We're reeling with each new disclosure. And we're left asking the question, what's a Christian to do? What's the church to do? What does it mean to be a caring community? I believe our passage in Philippians 4 can help us with these questions. 
Paul has four exhortations for the Philippians. First, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. This is imperative. A command. You rejoice. Not in the coronavirus, but in the Lord, where your true safety lies. You see, joy is not conditioned on favorable circumstances. Paul was imprisoned. He was experiencing deprivation, conflict, adversity, suffering. Yet he was still rejoicing and joyful because his joy was grounded in the Lord, not in his circumstances. He was able to rejoice because he was suffering as a follower of Jesus Christ and sharing in his sufferings and looking forward to his exaltation in Christ, looking forward to his citizenship in heaven, looking forward to attaining the resurrection from the dead. And Paul was commanding the Philippians to rejoice also without being frightened in any way by those who opposed them. And by extension, he's calling us to rejoice in the Lord always, knowing that no matter what happens to us, let me repeat that, no matter what happens to us, Jesus Christ is with us. Rejoice, not in your circumstances, but in the Lord, because the Lord is where our true safety lies. Second, let your gentleness be evident to all. The word gentleness means reasonableness, goodwill, fair-mindedness, charitableness. Let your charitableness be evident to all, both within the church and outside the church. You are not those who seek revenge or insist on your own rights or are selfish, self-centered, self-seeking, fighting over toilet paper or bottled water or hand sanitizer in the stores or hoarding at the expense of others' well-being, but you are charitable, other-centered, self-giving. The Lord is near. Our joy comes from Christ dwelling within us by his spirit, and our ultimate joy will be at his second coming for all those in Christ Jesus. Third, do not be anxious about anything. Anything is all-inclusive. Anything. Are you anxious about COVID-19? We're seeing a lot of anxiety, fear, and panic, not just in the U.S., but around the world. I heard an interview with a psychologist in China who identified what she called coronavirus anxiety, especially among those who had been quarantined. They were anxious about their family getting sick, anxious about themselves getting sick, anxious about dying. I'm not going to downplay people's anxiety. It's a real thing, especially for people who have no hope in the Lord. Maybe the Lord will use this to wake people up and to help them recognize their need for Jesus and bring them to faith in Christ 
so they are no longer driven by fear and panic. I hope you know Jesus is with you, and therefore you have no need to be anxious. Now that doesn't mean to be reckless or foolish. We've all heard the advice about hand washing, keeping your hands away from your face, staying home if you're feeling sick, not shaking hands, social distancing, postponing non-essential travel, etc., etc., etc. Then we're told that the elderly and or those with underlying health conditions or compromised immune systems are at higher risk and need to be more cautious if there is a spike of COVID-19 in our area. What do they mean by elderly? First I heard anyone 70 and above. Then I heard 60 and above. I said to Sharon, since we're both in our 70s, do you realize we're considered elderly and at risk? So don't be reckless or foolish. But don't be anxious either. Maybe you're thinking, that's easy for Paul to say. How do I get rid of my anxiety? Look at the end of verse 6. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Give them over to God. And the result is in verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts, your emotions, and minds, your reason, in Christ Jesus. God's peace is the result of these prayers accompanied by thanksgiving. Prayer replaces anxiety. Someone said, if you want to worry less, pray more. And the peace of God will guard your emotions and minds from being overwhelmed with fear and panic. Entrust your life to the Lord. Turn your worries into prayers. Fourth, Paul's last exhortation to the Philippians is in verses 8 and 9. The things we should be filling our minds with and thinking about. Because what we fill our minds with comes out in our words and behavior. You know the expression garbage in, garbage out. What do you fill your mind with? What kind of information do you consume on TV, radio, movies, magazines, books, news, screens, conversations? A steady diet of worldliness, of bad news, will end up influencing the way you think and act. Let God's word provide a healthy balance to what you're hearing. Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there is anything of excellence or praiseworthy, think about such things. What you have learned, read in the Bible, 
or received from Paul or heard from Paul or seen in Paul, then do it. Put it into practice. Follow Paul's example, and the God of peace will be with you. Verse 7 uses the expression, the peace of God. Verse 9, the expression, the God of peace. Through your obedience, by following Paul's example, not only will you have the peace of God, but you will have with you the God of peace himself, the author of peace. Fifth, now we come to Paul's thank you to the Philippians, verses 10 through 20. In verse 10, the Philippians' concern for Paul caused him to rejoice Although Paul has learned to be content in plenty and in want by relying on Christ's power and strength, Paul is still grateful for the Philippians' care and concern for him. Verse 14, he says, It was good of you to share in my troubles. From Paul's first visit with the Philippians to his imprisonment ten years later, The Philippians have been sending him aid again and again when he was in need because they were a caring community. And Paul appreciated their partnership in the gospel. Characterizing their gifts, verse 18, as a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice to God. An expression of the Philippians' love and trust in God who, quote, will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, verse 19. And for this reason, Paul says to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now let's go back to verse 14. It was good of you to share in my troubles. Literally, Paul wrote, You did well having partnership in my affliction. This is what a caring community is all about. Bearing each other's burdens, sharing in their troubles, partnering in their afflictions to the extent we are able. There have always been epidemics and pandemics throughout history. When I was a child, It was polio. When there was an outbreak, people were supposed to avoid crowds, what today we're calling social distancing and self-isolation. I remember one of my greatest disappointments as a child was not being able to go to the local fair or to the public swimming pool when there was a polio outbreak. I was disappointed, yes, but it wasn't the end of the world. Historically, there have been outbreaks of smallpox, measles, influenza, the bubonic plague, etc. But the church has played a leading role in helping and caring for the sick. Jonathan Edwards, a congregational pastor and the greatest American theologian, was a devout Christian who became president of Princeton University in 1758 and several weeks later agreed to be inoculated with an experimental smallpox vaccine in the interest of trying to stop the threat of smallpox. 
As a result, he contracted smallpox and died at the age of 54. Less than five weeks after his inauguration as the university's president. Kenneth Scott Latourette, in his History of Christianity, writes of the early church quote, The Christian community was a brotherhood bound together in love, in which reciprocal material help was the rule. Christian love and service were not restricted to members of the church they were also extended to non-Christians. When pestilence swept through great cities such as Carthage and Alexandria, and when pagans had fled to escape it, Christians remained and cared for the sick and dying. As persecution ceased, wealthy Christians founded hospitals, unquote. So we're called to love our neighbor, but don't be reckless. Martin Luther posted his 95 theses in 1517 in Wittenberg. Ten years later, a plague ravaged Germany. A pastor asked Luther for advice, and Luther responded with a tract titled, Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague. Allow me to share a couple of excerpts. As much as you did to one of the least of these, you did to me, said Jesus. If you wish to serve Christ and to wait on him very well, you have your sick neighbor well at hand. This is said as an admonition and encouragement against fear and a disgraceful flight to which the devil would tempt us so that we would disregard God's command in our dealings with our neighbor and so we would fall into sin of the left hand, fleeing. Others sin on the right hand. They are much too rash and reckless, tempting God and disregarding everything which might counteract death and the plague. They do not avoid persons or places infected by the plague, but lightheartedly make sport of it and wish to prove how independent they are. Sort of like the Utah Jazz NBA player Rudy Gobert making light of the coronavirus before testing positive last week. Luther concluded, It is even more shameful for a person to pay no heed to his own body and to fail to protect it against the plague the best he is able, and then to infect and poison others who might have remained alive if he had taken care of his body as he should have. Shun persons and places wherever your neighbor does not need your presence. End of quote. So on one hand, love your neighbor who is in need to the extent you are able. Check up on them by phone. Bring them food or groceries which you can leave at the door. Pray with them and encourage them over the telephone. On the other hand, don't be reckless. Take care of yourself. Don't risk exposing others who are at a greater risk than you. 
respect their decision to isolate, stay away from visiting nursing homes and hospitals during this emergency. Your pastor, Dave, and the board of deacons are having to make some difficult decisions about worship and church functions. They do so not out of fear, but out of care and concern for others, especially the elderly, like me, and those with underlying health issues, regardless of their age. As Paul said, it is good of you to share in my troubles. James Hamblin, a medical doctor and writer for The Atlantic, wrote the following. No matter your position, there are people who stand to lose much more than you do if they get sick. No matter how worried you are, there are people who are more worried. Look out for them and help make sure everyone takes these basic measures and doesn't panic. Societies break down when people fear one another as simply distributors of infectious agents. See people as allies in this unique moment of uncertainty. End of quote. Albert Moeller, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, said, We need to see this challenge as an opportunity for us to demonstrate in a whole new context what it means for us to love one another, what it means to serve Christ, what it means to love our neighbors, and what it means to care for one another. To recap, don't forget where your true safety lies so you can rejoice in the Lord. Two, let your charitableness be evident to all. Three, don't be anxious. Turn your worries into prayer. Four, think about whatever is praiseworthy. That is, be careful what you let your mind dwell upon. Finally, I'll leave you with this question. How might we, like the Philippians, be a caring community, caring for one another, and for those in the wider community, caring for the elderly, and those with underlying health concerns without being foolish and unnecessarily exposing them to risk? I'd like to close us with an anonymous prayer I was sent called Prayer for a Pandemic. Let us pray. Our Father, may we who are merely inconvenienced remember those whose lives are at stake. May we who have no risk factors remember those most vulnerable. May we who have the luxury of working from home remember those who must choose between preserving their health or making their rent. May we who have the flexibility to care for our children when their schools close 
remember those who have no options. May we who have to cancel our trips remember those that have no safe place to go. May we who are losing our margin money in the tumult of the economic market remember those who have no margin at all. May we who settle for a quarantine, settle in for a quarantine at home remember those who have no home. As fear grips our country, let us choose love. During this time when we cannot physically wrap our arms around each other, let us find ways to be the loving embrace of God to our neighbors. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.